everyone. It's the Life of Gem Facebook uh, streaming podcast, and we're now actually also on Apple. And today is being recorded on Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. And um, this is a very special episode. I'm so grateful to have Adam DiMartinez here. He's the author of Remeth, a postmodernist ritual, winner of the 2019 Hillary Gravendike Prize. He's a poet, an educator, as well as a musician, college professor. So he's epic. So this is going to be so cool. I'm going to start by reading his bio. Give us a wave, Adam. Then I'm going to bring him in. Thank you, Adam, for being here. Adam was born Adam Daniel Martinez, a writer, educated, an educator, and a recording artist and performer from the IE, the Inland Empire in Southern California. His debut poetry collection, Remyth, a postmodernist ritual, in Landia Institute's 2019 Hillary Gravendike Prize winner, was published in 2021. Everyone go out and get it. You can get it on Bookshop and get it on Amazon. He's been a fixture in the IE music community for well over a decade, performing locally across California and neighboring states, and has re- released over a dozen projects. His catalog spans the genres of rap and indie rock, and he is like has an encyclopedic knowledge of music. It's so cool. As a professor of English, his pedagogy and praxis in the classroom is directly informed by his experience as a poet and a rapper. For more information, visit www.adammetal.soy. That's A-D-A-M-E-T-A-L dot soy. Welcome, Adam. So happy to have you. Hello, hello. (laughs) Well, I am so happy to have you here. I'm going to put a little link in the comments for anyone who comes in. That's a really cool article they did at Chapman University, his alma mater, where he got his MFA um, that they wrote about him. And you can find that um, just by Googling Adam Daniel Martinez and Chapman.edu. It's on their blog. Adam, um, before we get into the meat of the interview, do you mind reading some poetry so people can understand kind of your voice and how freaking cool you are? Of course. It (laughs) will be my honor. Okay, so obviously I will be reading from Remit. So you can get a little, this is like a sampler CD. All right. Build. Walk into the river until you can't touch the bottom without baptism. Rocks in your pocket will hold you down. The past is a wilderness of horrors. Build a house for the dead to live in. Count crow's feet out of the corner of your eye. Souls meet at high tide where waves crash on cliff sides. Low tide invites you, come inside. In the ocean, life and death converge and all we love we leave behind. In the jungle of my mind, I penetrate provenance with the passion of a lover hacking out wild vines, creating thousands of cuts so clean, I never feel a thing. I bleed language. I see double in the junkyard of my mind, jumbled lies and lives lie in rubble, make sense of the wreckage, colonize you, self-appropriation, tear trees from roots and children from the womb, man-eating fellow man descending into barbarism. It begins at home. Repression keeps us safe, but dare to shake the foundation, peel that second layer, floating spit, hovering, holding my mood in with every word I choose not to say. Moments of sheer panic, aching for who we were, like missing your gallbladder when it's removed. It's beautiful organ donor weather. My death is your holiday. I left my body for you. Ask the paramedics for my driver's license. Scrape me off for this newly constructed highway, son. Shine on this synambulist. The self is split. Destroy and rebuild. Destroy and rebuild. Destroy and rebuild. This one is called Without Language. Drought on the tongue. Dehydrated dialogue. Without water flowing from a stream of consciousness. My ideology is incomplete, as is insult without apology. Remorse without forgiveness. What is man without God or a God without man? Existing in the imaginary, afraid to carry a conversation, the victim in us, the fear of criticism, 
Words become worthless. Diction with broken wings, ideas with no place to go, vagabond vocabulary. Without pretensions or agendas, no preaching atop a soapbox, no makeshift pulpit to wash your mouth of sins. Without pressure, I'll understand if you walk away. Speak without restraint. Speak slowly. Speak today without tomorrow, dear language. I am not myself without you. These next two poems are siblings. Scarehead. I am the pill. I am the noose. I am all the rage. I can make front page. I am the shooting. I am the victim of a television murder mystery. I am an icon. I am a god. I am Kanye's unrestrained ego. I am a cultural phenomenon. I am Heisenberg. I cut the blue sky. I defy cancer twice. I am the various bombings in red and blue states. I am Columbine and the like. I am September 11th. I'm Rodney King's beating. I'm a subsequent riot. I'm post-Katrina New Orleans. I'm a high-speed chase involving a Chicano male, 18 to 24, involved in a robbery. I'm the unsolved murder of Christopher Wallace and Tupac Shakur. I'm the OJ trial. I'm Trayvon Martin. I'm JonBenet Ramsey. I'm the Menendez brothers. I'm the advent of the talk show. I'm a hip hop vixen's tell all. I'm reality TV. I am my own enterprise. I'm the walking dead. I have a virus. I am a virus. I belong in a virtual mass grave. I am the news and I'm happening so fast. Death at the login screen. I'm a victim of the digital age. I'm the time America went online. I am aggregated data. I am a username. I'm nothing more than a broken hearted hashtag. I never stop to smell the roses. I bite my tongue. It tastes like what it means to be an American. You get what you ask for. Information at breakneck speeds. I am Dada, well beyond futurism, well beyond our means. I want to become extinct on the internet, vanish into static. I'll read a couple more. This one's called Perfumed Apocalypse. 10, reading perfumed magazines in white-walled waiting rooms, holding sterilized hands, our love is cold and clinical. Nine, watching the world burn in celluloid dreams, technicolored collisions between our worlds until earth implodes. Eight, we witness chaos and fragmentation sitting on decrepit rooftops under Milky Way skylines. Seven, inside of you like a bullet in a gun, safety off while the world falls apart. Morbid romantics dancing into post-war emptiness in a field of Harold and Maude sunflowers on a polarized planet, every day at war with the sun, paint the world a postmodern gray. Six, learning of death through brief sentences. Do you see how fast News travels how fast it comes and goes, jetting archers arrows straight through the apple of my eye, playing William Tell with compassionate hearts, finding love in hopeless places where marksmen take shots at random targets. Five, a roaming photographer at a downtown discotheque, overdoes it, angel dusted, overdosed, angel lust, rigor mortis, orgies in memoriam of Los Angeles and Los Angeles kissing corpses sacred and profane. My lips meet the perverse imps color-coded in postmodern grays for collapsing and condensing all collected hate into a twinkling of unadulterated violence. The darker the news, the grander the narrative, the author becomes a terrorist. Life is TV. Who killed Laura Palmer? Sad life satirized gallows humor. It's funny in a sick way, in a fucked up way. That was three. Two, all of life is a burning house. We relocate inside a text box. I want to live a literary life in a pre-war apartment. For now, I'm fine with falling for girls. Magazine ads, one, because reality bites, chew to bits. I am postmodern gray. This one is called Ma's Nose. Stephen Patrick Morrissey swings a bundle of yellow gladioli lamenting a charming man, pulls them from his back pocket, and flings them into the crowd. 
women's swoon, men's swoon, for the boy with the thorn in his side. This process repeats itself as I press play on the video player, learning a little more about lost love. Please, please, please let me get what I want, praying for a postmodern pompadour, one ripe with repression and supernatural power. Unfortunately, my hairdresser is on fire. And I will end this bit. Maybe I'll read a little more at the end if we have time, but I'll end this one uh, with a poem called Genevieve Street about a street that I lived on in my adolescence. On early evenings, a woman and her son would walk several blocks to buy groceries. Food stamps kept them fed a few times. Passing street lights with the tangerine glow, the fire station to the right, an empty elementary on the left, trees with low-hanging leaves and shoes tangled in power lines, housing project apartment complexes, a bar where the boy would eventually spend nights with friends fending off feelings of inferiority with a few beers and a laugh. The boy and mom would walk home, arms weighted with grocery bags, outside in a sad city, walking with his mother. The boy felt safest. Uh, that was Thank you. Oh, so freaking good. You're such a born performer. I felt the... Uh, the lyrical poetic voice. I felt the rap voice. I felt the lyricism of like all indie rock. Fucking epic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very and much. I dropped the first F-bomb. Um, Ange Angelic Hernandez Navarro said, I love this one. Thank you for watching. That's my, that's uh, my prima. Oh. Angelique. <laughs> Where's she from? Me. San Bernardino. My family is like maybe three generations from San Bernardino. I live in San Bernardino, unincorporated. Yeah. You do? I was being filmed in San Bernardino. Yeah, right by Glen Allen Park. Kind of by DeVore. It's it's this community that's north of Fontana, south yeah. of DeVore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. San Bernardino. Well, yes. I think me, you, and Liz Gonzalez need to do a reading. Liz Gonzalez is from San Bernardino, too. Yes. And um, let's put together one, maybe at the Garcia Center. I'll pitch it. Um, yeah. So, down. okay, I'm putting a note to myself. My bestie, Tracy, is here. Tracy, you I'll bring you his book. I'll, I'll send you a copy. He has so many Smith's references in his work, so many block parts. We're, she's the one that introduced me to Block Party. We uh, saw them at the Roxy. Um, so many Block Party references. Oh, Trey, you'll die. You have. To, I got to give you Adam's book. Um, <laughs> and he's a musician as well. So um, let me let's start with um, the references. So the first poem you read, and it's kind of hard. Like I literally was trying to keep up while you were reading. I was like, oh, there's this misreference. Um, the first poem you read is called Build. Mm -hmm. And you have this line in the second uh, paragraph, descending into barbarism, it begins at home, which is a reference to, obviously, um, a Smith song. Uh, I am wearing my Smith shirt for you. And, you know, I've seen Morrissey like 18 times. Well, I saw the Smiths in high school. Um, and then in 1987, I believe it was. Yeah, I think it was 87 because I think they broke up that next year. Um and then I've seen Morrissey since, like, many, many times. Um, are you a big Morrissey fan? I think you are, right? Um, I have a complicated relationship with Morrissey. Yes. Uh, it's it's difficult. It's like all of my heroes are very complicated people with with what they what they say in interviews. Um, really? Really? Really, Adam? So, so Morrissey, I would say, like, as a as a poet, as a writer, as a rapper, as a songwriter, my two biggest influences are probably Morrissey and Kanye West, and they mm. have been. You know how to pick them. I know how to pick them. <laughs> it's, it's been you know these last like half a decade. It's been really hard to negotiate like where I stand with them, and it, it's it's it has really been painful to be honest. Um, 
No, I, it is. Morrissey, you don't understand how many arguments I've gotten into, never with Latinos, because they understand, but with non-Latinos that are very progressive. And I'm like, he saved my life in high school. He saved my life. Mm -hmm. I never knew what it was that there a life existed on the page or in the music until I heard this mess. And I was in seventh grade. And I, these guys used to walk. I didn't know Tracy yet. I was best friends with my friend Melinda. We used to hang out at this park. And these boys walked by in black trench coat with the Smiths spray painted on the back. They're like, who are the Smiths? You know, this is right about when um, this, you know, the first album's coming out, their mm -hmm. self-titled uh, debut. And so um, maybe I was in sixth grade, but I was young, right? And then I really got into them in high school. And... Um, I mean, I just, I can't underestimate what their music has done for me. What Morsi's lyrics, because I'm a lyric person. I know some people, and I love Johnny Marr. Don't get me wrong. I've seen him live too. I love his uh, guitar. But for me, it's always been um, Morsi's lyrics that fascinated me so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And take apart the man from the music. I mean, all of our idols are tarnished. Bowie, Iggy, Lou, all these people had very problematic relationships with women and with politics and culture in their lives, right? Susie, you know, at one point wore a, wore a swath sticker to make a statement or whatever. You know, Johnny Rotten, John Linden is like conservative now. Morrissey, um, what I would say about his politics is I do not agree with them at all. But mm -hmm. as a, even his, he's still one of the best musicians there is. Even his more recent albums are beautiful. I haven't I haven't listened to his newer stuff. I I well because you know I even if I'm thinking about the Smiths, I was two years old when they broke up. Yeah, and, and so I they were always uh, music that I had heard growing up here and there because you know like older cousins listening or yeah, and I didn't know who it was, and it wasn't until like I was in high school that I was yeah. I became acutely aware of the Smiths and I just went in a deep dive and that was like my existence. And that's what I, yeah, I wanted to model my, my writing after Morrissey. And um, I guess for me, like, I don't, I don't like getting into the whole conversation of like cancel culture and all of that. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Um, but it, it hurts to think about the things that he said that have been like xenophobic, knowing yeah. that like the Latinos made him <laughs> like. Well, he's such a contradiction. His whole band is Latino. Um, every person in his California concerts, for the most part, 90% Latino. Um, he clearly has waved the Mexican flag at concerts. So I just don't understand him. Um, mm -hmm. The xenophobia and the things he talks about England and about shutting down the borders. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, I, I try to say maybe it's cognitive decline. He is older now. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know. But all I would say is I think, you know, I just I try to put that aside because honestly, I love him so much. I love his music and um, I love his lyrics. And yeah. And, you know, if you look back at like. Bowie and some of these people that you know were with young girls all, all these i just saw priscilla that movie is creepy as af mm. um he started grooming her when she was 14 and um elvis presley did and yeah. um i mean they got married and they had a baby and all that and that's nice but i mean it doesn't um forgive the fact that you know he started dating her when she was very young with right. her parents permission uh, in Germany. And so, yeah. So anyways, we can, we can move on from Morrissey because you have an encyclopedic knowledge of music. And what I was so, I just thought it was mesmerizing is hearing you read your poetry is almost like a rap performance or like a, a freestyle performance uh, that merges rap and indie a little bit. And so is that something that you know, you have in your arsenal, um, your arsenal, just to, you know, might as well make another Morrissey reference. <laughs> uh, I think so. Yes, because I I started rapping well before I considered myself a, a poet, um, and so like the the thing that drew me to to poetry is 
was it was a, uh, my junior year of high school. I had a, a teacher, Mr. Tivy, that I don't know. He just made poetry cool, and he was like into he was into movies. So he was like he had like a Reservoir Dog and Pulp Fiction posters in his classroom and like all that kind of stuff. So oh, he really, Mr. Tivy! Yeah, so he sparked my like I guess you could say like a a more conscious pop culture. Um, like my taste buds, you know, because I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're all consuming pop culture since we're kids watching TV and stuff, but the, the coolness, the underground, the, the, he put, he, he put that in my head. And so like being already a fan of like hip hop, um, his, like just his journals that allowed us that space um, really, really helped me see poetry as another art form that I could tap into. And um, like the thing that I like about poetry in, 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 in respects to being a rapper is that when you're rapping, you're beholden to the beat, the the BPMs, usually a verse is 16 bars. There's certain syllable count that you need to fit, right? Otherwise it's not going to make sense. And I just get to toss all of that away when I'm writing poetry, but I can still pick up, like you said, like I'm not good at freestyling when it comes to rap. I never have been. I think I'm too much of a thinker. Like I I overthink and I get really self-conscious, but like, if you hear me read these poems on another day, it's going to sound a little different. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that's, I guess I never really thought about it till you brought it up. There is a, um, I just kind of let the rhythm, I have that in my arsenal that I, I can, I can adapt to rhythms because I've wrapped on a lot of different BPMs. And so that allows me to play with, with the lines in these, a lot, a lot of my poetry, most of my poetry is free verse. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I mean, I just think you're so brilliant and I'm not trying to blow smoke. I'm just, I really do think that, you know, songwriting is hard when you don't play an instrument. I don't play an instrument. So I've always wanted to dabble in songwriting, but I don't play an instrument. So it's interesting how you talk about how as a rapper, you have to kind of match your um, rhythm of your language to the beats. And so it's it's so interesting that you're also a poet because mm-hmm. a lot of people would call Tupac one of you know one of the most famous poets of all time, and it really is poetry. And, and Kurt Cobain, you know, um, I once took a theater class and we had to do a letter from Kurt Cobain as our monologue, and I just thought it was cool as, as f. And um, so, do you think in lyrics? Because I think in lyrics, and I think it's a special breed of person that thinks in song lyrics or or song references or film references is that kind of what you do anyways naturally I do I wake I wake up with a song in my head every day (laughs) every day never fails and sometimes it's not even Mm -hmm. a lot of times not even songs that I like yeah no totally I I love Sean I was like guilty pleasure Sean Cassidy right so sometimes his songs will just play in my head from when I was a kid or you know Archie songs like shit you used to listen to when you were a kid you know yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I also do this thing and it happens like every few months or maybe more than that, if I'm being honest, when I clear my throat, I don't know if you ever noticed how you clear your throat, but mine is always like, <clears throat> like, and that always brings the riff of some 41 fat lip in my head. And so that ah! it's very annoying. It's very annoying. Yeah. You know, the whole song, lyric, film, um, literary, all these references in your head. I always say, don't ever ask me. I know some statutes because I'm a lawyer, right? I'm a criminal defense <laughs> lawyer. But most of that shit you can look up. So someone will ask me, oh, what's 29800, which is possession of a firearm uh, without a license. It's a felony. And I'll be like, I got to look it up. I have too many song lyrics in my head. I literally cannot fit any or figuratively cannot fit anything else in to this brain it's like that five year song by ziggy stardust you know or by david bowie um in ziggy stardust um the first album the first song on that album which is my favorite song five years he talks about there's too much stuff in here right there's mm-hmm. too many things in your brain and that's how i feel yeah absolutely my oh, wife and he's is- here too just so you know oh oh that's cool yeah that's very cool yeah, yeah my wife is always uh because I'll throw pop culture stuff at her and she's like, 
that is a very useful and also not useful like <laughs> skill or I don't know if you, I don't know what you call it but it's like I wish I was better at math <laughs> or science but no this is this is my god-given talent or whatever you want to call it yeah I can I can remember like obscure lyrics and obscure lines from movies and you reference The Shining. Are you a Stephen King fan or you're more of a film uh, Stanley Kubrick fan? More more of a film. Um, yeah. I, I, admittedly, I've only read essays from Stephen King. I've never read a Stephen King novel. You got to read the Gunslinger series. Oh, okay. my effing God. It's like, uh, sorry, because it's like seven books, 800 pages each. Oh, geez. But I will come to blows with anyone that could argue that he is not one of the best literary fiction writers of our time. Um, I, I really do think there's something about genre and that, um, and I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, uh, I was talking with a couple of people recently about genre as it relates to memoir and whether you need genre anymore, whether we can call it auto fiction, fiction, memoir, who cares what we call it. And I have this theory that a lot of people of color um, and poor folk for that matter, fictionalize their lives. Dorothy Allison, others, Santa Cisneros, Juno Diaz, um, because there's a sense of shame in telling these true stories sometimes, right? Or our families are just too much drama playfuls and they're going to cause too much shit. So we just decide to fictionalize it because it's easier. But I think there's something lost when you fictionalize it. So I like the genre of memoir. But on the other hand, I would say that sometimes there's a stigma with genre, whether it's rap, if you're in the music category, um, whether it's punk in the music category, or for uh, for books, whether it's horror or uh, supernatural or, you know, dystopians kind of on an upward thing because of Octavia Butler, she's finally getting her due. Mm. But what do you think about genre? Like, what's your genre? As a college professor, you teach English at Chafee College. Woo! I yes. uh, talk about genre and what you think about the literary canon and how we expand it and how we bring voices like yours, to be honest, into that canon. It's not an easy thing. This book won a huge prize. And it's still not easy to get books into libraries if you're with an indie press. And I have to say, as a disclaimer, I serve on the board of Inlandia. I think they're a wonderful organization, but I do serve on the board as the vice president. But um, all of this reading is blind. So no one knew who Adam was when he won this um, huge prize. So talk about that. You know, your first book won a prize. Um, How do we expand the literary canon to get more voices that matter in there? I mean, kids want to read this. They do not want to read a separate piece again. They do not want to read, you know, whatever it is. I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I know there's some controversy about it, but I love the book. Um, But do do they want to read that or do they want to read this? Do they want to see themselves reflected? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That whole notion of getting books in the library is that's a whole conversation. You know, I tried to, I tried to get this book in my local library and they were like, does it have a Kirkus review? Does it blah, blah, blah. No, but I'm from here. You don't want to represent me here. You don't want some kid to pick this up. That's from here and be like, Oh shit. I could do this. Yeah. What library did you go to? What library was that? Uh, <laughs> Redlands public library. Ontario's great. I'll send you the librarians info. They have a whole local author section that they will put you in that library. Okay. Okay. And they'll, they'll give you a reading too. Oh yeah. 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 So, so I mean, yeah, there's still a lot of local hills to climb even, you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. No, I, I, my books are not in Fontana library. They are not. No, my mom goes there and I'm like, mom, can you ask them to put my book there, please? She forgets. Yeah. She's 82, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a generation thing, but I still, I see the need to to buck the standards of genre but i also love genres in, <laughs> in all of their forms i i think they're really important i think they build communities i think uh i think you i think you can become a master of of a genre and then break those rules and start blending other genres but I feel like that's that's the problem with this generation. The, the younger generation, <laughs> like everything, all genres are at their fingertips. 
and they don't take those deep dives anymore. I, I mean, by and large, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there's still kids that are just like we were that are taking those deep dives. But for the most part, I, I feel like, um, yeah, like they're, they're not, they're not really concerned with genre anymore. I'm not sure what they're concerned yeah. Um, no, because there's too much noise out there, right? Yeah. So it's hard to even know what genre is when you have a thousand stations, a thousand books at your disposal, a thousand podcasts, even breaking through is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Talk about, um, so you got your MFA at uh, Chapman University here in the OC. Um, yes. And you did an MFA program there. And this book was actually part of your MFA thesis. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so if you could just do two things for me, I want people to understand the end notes section. So a lot of these poems have uh, pop culture references, whether that be film, music of all genres and television, Breaking Bad, stuff like that, uh, Reality Bites, like kind of more 90s, 80s influenced musical pop culture references and TV film references. Um Talk about that aspect and then how you did the end notes. I think it's really interesting because I've read books. Um, I read one book that was a memoir um, and every chapter was based on a Morrissey song and they got Morrissey's permission and they self-published or small press this book and it was really well done and they had permission, but like most writers who go with a small press, it's really hard to get permission for the lyrics. And so you were able to do these poems that have a lot of references and allusions and sometimes a little snippet. And then you put the end notes at the end and uh, the end notes are long and they're like an Easter egg hunt. And then you can go back through the poems and find the references. Talk about that. And then I want you to talk about MFA programs after we talk about that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so the whole idea of Remith, a postmodernist ritual, is uh, Remith is a portmanteau of remix and myth, myth or mythologies or mythologizing. Mm. And I wrote this, what, this is about 10, 11 years ago now. Oh, um, wow. When I was in my, my mid-20s and I had just gotten out of my big first adult relationship and it was really hard. Um, and it became this thing where I wasn't, I didn't know, like my whole adult life was spent in that relationship. And I, and so I didn't know how to navigate life outside that. I didn't know really who I was as an adult. And so the whole notion of remit is rooted in like remix culture, like thinking about hip hop and thinking about how things are sampled to make new meaning. And so I applied that same idea to the way that we narr uh, narrativize our lives and those painful moments in our lives, especially for folks like you and me who are so pop culturally centered in our, in our, in who we are, it brings us joy. It's how we relate to the world and others. Um, when you're so connected to, to certain books and certain movies and songs, it, we attach them to like relationships too, right? Mm. Anyway. Yeah. And so songs are there for us in hard times and traumatic times. But then they also can be take on this like uncanny nightmarish thing because it, it can it reminds you of like this residual feeling that used to be there. And now it's not. And so the whole idea of this was to remythologize those pop cultural moments. And mm. so I'm pulling all of these different parts of my pop culture experiences up to that point. Um, and, and trying to, um, find, find joy in some of them again. Um, and so with that, yeah, I did, I, there's tons of Easter eggs, tons of references. Um, and since this was my thesis, I had my advisor and, uh, she was, you know, she was pretty aware. And, and so we talked about that. I hadn't even thought about, oh, copyright. Um, when it came to poetry, when it came to writing, I had thought about it because I was performing music and we were sampling songs. I did a whole project. Um, I need to send you the link for it. Um, yeah. I did, a project, I did a project called Good Times for a Change that was all Smith samples. Oh, my gosh. 
And I was on an indie label at the time. And so we just were like, we didn't care. We were like, this is like, we're not, we're not going to get the attention of them. We're not going to make money. We're not taking money out of their pockets. So we just put it out. So I was aware of it in music. Right. But when it came to writing, I had no idea. Like, oh, so we had this conversation and she, she told me like, well, there's, there's people that are doing similar things in like creative nonfiction realms. So like David Shields, she gave me reality hunger and she was like, read this and then let's, and then come back on our next meeting and we'll talk about what, like, what are we going to do with all of the, the moments that are kind of dicey? Are you going to have you cut them or are we going to try to find a workaround? And so reality hunger for anyone who hasn't heard of it or, or read it. Um, it's like a manifesto that's essentially saying like once something's out there it is the public's like and you do whatever the hell you want with it make whatever meaning you want with it and it's a really heady experience to read you just don't know whose voice is happening at any given mm-hmm. time there's no i believe there's no maybe there's notes at the end but there's no like footnotes or anything like that so it's really hard to like line up like you what's take- what what's what you just kind of take your best guess and so I kind of played with that and being that I was in a I was in the it was really cool at Chapman they had a dual degree program it was an MA and an MFA oh very cool so you can get both of them and some of the classes like counted for both so you could get it done in three years instead of doing oh, two really different cool. ones in four um so anyways you know being an English major uh MLA formatting I thought you know, why not, why not make a poems out of all of the references that I make so that people can go back and experience these pop culture moments after they've read it, whether they've ever heard of it or not. So I wrote the poems in MLA format, not necessarily in um, like the line breaks or anything. I, I made them poems, but in terms of the content that an MLA works cited entry would have, like author, publisher, year, yeah. uh, you know, uh, movie title or album title. Um, so I you could all- track it. So you could track it, and so and 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 that was kind of our idea to kind of well, if you if you go and try and get this published, you at least you have something to argue with your publisher. Like, look, I've yeah, I have these uh, MLA works cited this works cited page, um, and so. The end notes and is- it's brilliant because I read the book the first time without reading the end notes. Ah. Then I read it again, and then cool. I went to the end notes. So it's different ways to experience it. Technically, the collection is fifty-six pages, but also it. My intention is that it's actually seventy because the yeah. end notes are poems themselves. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then I did the end notes by themselves. Then I went back and forth between the poems and the end notes. Ah. Which was my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So part, I love that because part of this, I wanted it to be like a sleuthy detective noir kind of feel where you're interrogating the text. And, Mm -hmm. and this, this could be a good research tool. I would love to hear that a professor is using this to teach students how to like, look at what, what your article that you're reading, what, what are they sourcing? Yeah. And what I found most interesting, and you probably intended this, the title of Postmodernist Ritual, one of my favorite postmodern writers, the very first probably is James Joyce. Mm -hmm. And he wrote Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake. Mm -hmm. And Finnegan's Wake is basically like a long prose poem book that has so many puns and allusions and references that you can never figure it out. Mm-hmm. Ulysses is a little bit um, better if you have a, a text that you read with it where you're reading it together and trying to figure out what's actually going on. Dubliners is his most uh, approachable work, I would argue, because um, it's short stories. But did you mean to kind of mimic Joyce a little bit, uh, both in the title and in the text, with how you're playing with language, right? Because James Joyce was a master at playing with language and at subverting form. I, I think... I I don't not 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 front facing I wasn't but that you mentioned it I think deep down yes I have I have tried to do Ulysses so many times and it just fries my brain but I but Dubliners was uh spoke to me in undergrad so I mm. doubt voice um 
So yeah, I think that that DNA was in me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took you, uh, uh, we both went to UC Riverside. You went about a decade Ooh. after I, uh, yeah. Ooh, Ooh, Scottish Highlander, weird mascot. They are Scottish. Everyone, all, everyone that doesn't know about that. They're like, wait, what? Why? Yes. I love them though. Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a weird, uh, it's a weird mascot for Inland Empire. But that's our mascot. But I took it. I took classes with Kimberly Devlin, who's retired, who was the Joy Scholar at UC Riverside. I took her class. You did? That's where I read it. Yeah. Oh. I don't, no, I, I don't. I, it was definitely with Devlin, but I don't. I don't think it was a Joyce class. I think it might have been a yeah. postmodern class. Right, and she probably had a sample of something from him. I took Joyce with her, both okay. Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake, and I took her postmodern class that was Virginia Woolf, James Joyce, and a bunch of other writers. Uh, yeah, yeah. She changed my life. I mean, I went to Ireland and I went to um, Galloway to see the um, Nora's apartment is a museum. So uh, the people that go to the James Joyce Museum in Galloway, um, there's like famous writers that go there. There's famous actors that have played Nora on the stage because there was a stage play adaption of, of James Joyce about Nora, which the James Joyce estate is notoriously uh, stingy with rights. So they weren't able to quote any Joyce in it. But um, you'd be amazed at the amount of people that love James Joyce and that showed up at this museum just while we were there. It was it was phenomenal. Um, so yeah, so uh, Kimberly Devlin really impacted me. And she's the reason I went to law school. Her husband, Bill Devlin, was at Best Best in Krieger. And uh, she said, oh, you should apply to law school because I was going to go get my PhD in creative writing mm -hmm. and, and English kind of or my master's, at least kind of what you did. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know whether I made the right call or not. But, you know, law's fine. You know, I've merged my writing and my legal career. I just love your aesthetic. So I also want to ask about your MFA program. Um, so you went to undergrad at UC Riverside. Then you went to get your MFA at Chapman. How long did you wait? What do you think of MFA programs? What do you think of the privilege that kind of inhabits the program? And I'm not going to say they're all bad. I've had a great experience at University of New Orleans, but my experience is online only. Mm -hmm. And it is a low res online only. And um, so I'm not in class with people. Like we right. just make comments online and we send each other our comments on their work. Yeah. Um, I've never taken an online class, but I teach them. <laughs> I wonder how I would fare. I don't know. Um, I but, love online personally. If you're a self-starter and you're motivated, it's the best way to do it uh, versus having to get up every morning and trudge into class. It's kind of like this podcast. Um, this started out in studio at my producer's office. Would I still be doing it if I had to go to her um, studio every week? I don't think so. Mm, Part yeah. of it's the approachability and my ability to work around my life with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so UCR 2008, I took okay. two, in, two, three years off. I took okay. three years off and I was doing music. I was rapping and I was in a band. Um, so I was doing both of those things. And I, and what was the band called? The band was called Spirit Fangs. Ooh. Yeah. We, we were, uh, like a, like a indie hardcore band, I guess. Kind of like cult rock, like hard rock or hard punk kind of thing. Um, probably more along the lines of like alternative emo with a little bit of like hardcore punk. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I was, yeah, I was doing, I was playing guitar in the band, doing backing vocals, and then I was rapping with the indie label called Black Cloud Music, um, and that, and you know, working to to get by. And then um, there was just something, I think, I, so my plan in my mind, how it was going to go was I'm going to get this bachelor's degree um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to be a rapper. And I'm, and then, you know, in my thirties or forties, then some college is going to be like, Oh, that guy is a rapper and he, and he got his degree in English. Let's hire him to be an English professor. That's what I, that was what my, what I wanted my life to be. Um, kind of the music and the literature merging with yes. academia. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It just went the other way because I mean, and, and I've come to find because I'm still, you know, I'm still pretty new to the publishing game. Um, 
And it's not far off from the hustle and the struggle of being a, a, a indie musician, yeah. you know, um, same politics, same red tape, all that kind of stuff. So, um, same need to kind of put yourself out there and create your own platform nowadays. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Same game, which is kind of disheartening, but I think that's just with everything in capitalist society. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I don't want to say I was dissatisfied with the struggling artist life, but I was, I don't it's know. It's okay to say you were. I was. I could never do it. I'm, I'm bougie now. I grew up, you know, blue collar. I was a waitress and a bartender for many years. And I was like, the year I graduated from law school and I went to a big firm, I was like, I've never had this money in my life. I love being able to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I want. I honestly had never had money before. And I don't know if I could go back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't I know. You know, I help we, me and my sisters help my mom. We have a lot of responsibilities. I have a great husband. My mother-in-law lives with us. We have a very full life, but to struggle financially is not something I'm interested in unless I have to, you know, if, if right. something happened and I had to, I could do it. I could waitress. Like I always say when I'm pissed off at work, I could always go waitress F this shit, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, talk. So you were talking about like, you, you don't want to say you were disenchanted with um, being a struggling writer, but what made you apply to an MFA program? I think there is a legitimacy to it that it does give you. Yeah, I think, um, well, I started because they do have that dual program. I started as a MA only mm. um, because I, I think what I, what I was thinking was, well, I'm still going to do music. But since my my end goal is like I do want to be a professor, I always wanted to be a professor. I didn't think I could hack it as like a middle school or even <laughs> high school um, teacher. So I was I was always had my mind on professorship. But I, I think I was you like, you know oh, your I'm, audience, you know your audience. Yeah, yeah. You don't want me talking to kids about romper room, you know. <laughs> and so I um, I think I was like, well, I can I can start I can start knocking this out to up my chances to do that. And uh, it, it was, I wasn't, I didn't consider myself a poet even then. Wow. Um, I still consider myself a rapper who dabbled in writing sometimes. Um, so I didn't even have an intention of necessarily going into the MFA program. I was just going to do the MA. But then once I, I, uh, I emailed the chair of the program and he was like, Oh, we, you know, we also have this dual program. And would you like to come sit in on a workshop just to see like, and I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds really cool. So I got to sit in on a workshop and it was, uh, it was, they were very nice. I, it was very surprising. Like they treated me <laughs> like I was part of the class. I hadn't even applied yet. I was still considering. And like they printed out a copy of their work for me. And like, I got to, and so, um, and writers are cool. Let's be honest. You know, the only thing cooler than writers are musicians. <laughs> yeah. And you are already a rapper musician, so you are already uber cool. And then you meet this new community that's very creative and akin to that community, right? There's a sense of kinship within it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I go into the program 2011, and by 2012, I'm in the dual program. So now I'm doing workshops. Um, at the time, did you I, find your poetic voice right away? Was it kind of like merging songwriting, your rapping with poetry, or did, was that hard to find? So here's the thing: I started the MFF, the MFA program, as a fiction writer. Really? And I turned in a piece. I was just getting before we started. We were talking about this, and I just got annihilated by everyone. Red, red, red everywhere, and it was really disheartening. Um, and part of that was because I, I'm, I've improved on fiction writing through the program. Um, that's part of it, that I just wasn't uh, that well-versed in writing fiction. The other part of it was the, um, the differences in understanding life experiences uh, going to that kind of school. I was yeah. the old, at the time, at the time I've been. And this that, is Chapman University, one of the most um, 
highfalutin private schools in the OC, very um, Caucasian mostly, I would say, right? Yeah, it was primarily white kids. Um, and yeah, I, I was one, if a lot of times in a workshop or just in a class, I was the only brown person. I don't think there were any black people in my cohort. Wow. Um, and so a lot of times there was this misunderstanding of my work uh, where there would be some plot point and they just didn't get, they couldn't conceive that that is a real experience. And we talked about that earlier. You had a similar experience and it was really frustrating. Um, and it made me doubt myself sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely quickly found, once I got into a poetry workshop, I quickly found. I, I, I would say even, honestly, I found it more through my creative nonfiction class. Um, a really, I had never even heard of creative nonfiction before that. Um, and so being able to, to learn about that genre, uh, I think that really helped me with taking the, the pop culture stuff and putting it in like a real life context. Very interesting. Are you there? I am. You're frozen, but I can hear you. Am I frozen on yeah. your end? We're both frozen for some reason. Let's try to get us back on. But let's just keep on talking. I mean, people can... Um, how about we do this? How about you read something and I'll try to fix uh, the connection? Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, since we are in full swing of autumn, in IE autumn, uh, I'll read Harvest Moon Kiss. The bottom of his van sneakers, still sticky with tree sap. Bits of haystacks stuck, corn husks crunched as they walked, hidden under a harvest moon, held hands in an autumnal haunt. Carnivalesque, cotton candy, candy apples, dizzied on a carousel, perfectly poised, anxious adolescents awkwardly rode the Ferris wheel. Fell fancy free, fragile leaves yellow, like the small glow of candles and carved pumpkins hollow. Kept out the cold and poorly knit sweaters, hoping the little flame lingered, he whispered, I want to kiss you. All right. Maybe we could come back to, to more towards the end too. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk for about five more minutes and then I want you to read more at the end. Okay. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you read that one. That's one of my favorites. Um, you know, the whole MFA thing, I'm really glad you got your MFA because it resulted in this beautiful book. And I hope you write another one. I felt that uh, Genevieve Street, uh, is that how you say it, Genevieve? Genevieve. Genevieve. Uh, the Genevieve Street um, piece read like memoir to me. It's the only piece in the whole book that didn't really feel like poetry. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because you use uh, third person. Um, you, you're not using first person, which is my favorite. I love the I in memoir. But I really love this piece. Um, it is a poem. I, I wouldn't say it's not a poem, but it's the one that read the most like fiction, non-fiction-y to me. Mm -hmm. And it's it's formatted in, in prose poetry format. So that's exactly. there is a memoir-esque vibe to this uh, collection. Yes. Oh, definitely. I definitely felt that. Um, what are you working on right now before we get in? And uh, let's do three things. Tell us what you're working on right now. Tell people how who are listening in how they can find you. And I want you back on when your next book comes out, because I know that it's going to be brilliant. You know, I love anyone that writes about Chuck, pop culture, Chuck Klosterman, all these people that love pop culture. Those are my favorite kind of people. Mm -hmm. Um so tell us where people can find you, what you're working on now, and then um, and then we'll go into the reading. And I just want to say one thing. Um, next month, um, we have Andrea Ross on. Uh, she wrote a beautiful memoir. The next podcast will be on. Um, will be on. I believe it's December. One second. It is December. Uh, Sixth, I believe, is our next podcast. And um, and then after that, I have uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Tisha, who's coming out with a book about being a rodeo. Uh, she writes, she used to write, she was a rodeo queen and she wrote a YA fictional novel and set it in Riverside about being a cowgirl Latina. 
So uh, that's called Breaking Pattern. And that's coming out from Inlandia next month. So watch out for the uh, uh, the next two people on our podcast in December. We're going to take about a month break for the holidays. We'll be back in December with two more podcasts. And then we'll end for the year. And at the beginning of next year, I'm very honored to announce that I have one of my favorite people in the world who's a very well-known professor at Riverside City College. And um, this book is getting a ton of press. Um, it's called Unheard Witness by Joe Scott Coe. And it's about the life and death of Kathy Whitman, whose husband killed her. And he was also the one who did the horrific act in Texas and uh, shot up the at UT Austin. He shot up the campus. So this is a beautiful book. Joe Scott Coe will be my first guest in January. So I just want to shout out this book, Unheard Witness. It's so beautifully done. It's University of Texas Press. You can get it on Joe Scott Coe. She's a professor of English at, U at Riverside Community College, RCC, and she's been a huge supporter of me and my work. So I just want to shout her out. Liz Gonzalez is here. She just got here. Um, and Liz Gonzalez is one of my other favorite people. And Liz, if you're listening in, I want you to know that I want me, you, and Adam to read in San Bernardino. And yes. uh, so we, <laughs> so we got to pitch that because Liz is a master performer too. And you're okay. a master performer. And then I'll have to live up to you too. <laughs> I might be the weak link. Um, <laughs> so tell, you <laughs> so tell people <laughs> what you're doing, how they can find you. And then um, if you want to uh, read a couple poems to take us out. Yeah. So you can find me at www.adametall.soy. It's A-D-A-M-E-T-A-L dot S-O-Y. Soy like soyriso or yo soy. <laughs> That's why I picked it as my domain name. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's adam.etal. So that's my, that's my artist name that I kind of came with after the book was published. Um, and it's a reference to MLA, my, you know, my, my professorship and et al in Latin is like, and everyone else when you're doing scholarly work. So the et al for me is everyone that my ancestors, my wife, my parents, my cousins, my everybody, my friends, everyone that's lifted me up and helped me get to, to do the things that I do. Uh, all the voices, all of the me's like Sandra Cisneros says, you know, we're all to the two-year-old us, the four-year-old us, the nine-year-old us, et cetera. So it's all of that. Um, yes, so Adam et al. You can find me on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all of the major streaming, if you're interested in checking out my music. What I'm working on now is um, I'm, in the, I'm in the pushing phase right now. I, I'm, I'm submitting my work. I have a chat book that I'm pushing out. I have a new poetry collection and I have a, um, a novelette Ooh. Um, that's based on um, the album by Perfume Genius, Put Your Back Into It. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm busy with my Google, my Google Sheets or whatever it's called with my list and I'm sending it out for submission. So yes, hopefully I can I can come through in a in a year or so with a new product. Um, I would love to see you on Bamboo Dart. <laughs> he doesn't oh, take cool. um, submissions, but I mean, um, I think you'd be a great fit with them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I will look into that. See if I can break through that somehow. Maybe you can help me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I will. I would like to. Um, read. I think I, I think I want to end with just one poem, and it's one of my favorites, and and it really happened um, when I was a, a lonely, heartbroken, wanting nothing more than to be in love, twenty something, wondering if my time would ever come again, and it has. Shouts out to my wife. Oh. This one is called Love in a Shopping Aisle, and it's about a trip that I took to Target in Yorba Linda <laughs> when I was going to grad school. And this is, the, this is the last poem of the collection, technically, if you don't count the end notes. It's the last one. Love in a Shopping Aisle. I've seen love in a shopping aisle. A black man in the middle of his age pushes his wife in a wheelchair. The love of his life suffers some sickness, unfair, from the sound of her voice, this Arthur has changed her. Not the woman she once was, 
but he still loves her like the first time. I think the dish soap is in the laundry aisle, she said with a slight slur. Oh, okay, as he pushes his lover around the corner. There exists love in a shopping aisle. Two women walk along the freezer section. One holds the hand basket, the other rushes ahead. Where the fuck do they put the sweetener? Relax, love. One tells the other as she reaches for her hand and rubs her thumb against the pocket of skin between the index and the thumb. How easy is it to find yourself in love in a shopping aisle? Shout out to Wifey. That's that's a good one to end on. I have this um, thing about love, that love, um, I have a poem about it, that it's not the Harlequin romance novels that I devoured at age 10. No, mm. it's not those over-commercialized concepts. There is no strumming egg. It's the ordinary rote routine. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's the ordinary rote routine of shopping together. My husband drives me crazy because he has no patience. So I'll, he'll, I'll, I'll be outside. Can you just wait? Uh, but no, it's like, where do they put the sweetener? Calm down. It's that kind of thing. It, it's, it's the banalities of life, right? Yes, yes. That's true love. It's taking care of someone's mother. It's taking care of your kids. It's take, I don't have kids, but if I did, it's taking care of your dog. It's taking care of you know, your husband and rubbing his back when his sciatica goes out. Whatever it is. Um, you capture it beautifully. And, you know, I always say this. I'm always saddest for the creatives and the artists, Morsi included, who don't find love. Um, I, I know he has found it uh, with men and women in his life. Mm -hmm. But I would just want for everyone that they have their soulmate. I've been with my husband 30 years. Shout out to Adrian. Yay. And um, <laughs> our song at our wedding that we learned in American Tango 2 was There's a Light That Never Goes Out, which is my favorite Smith song of all. I, is that don't you think that's the best Smith song of all time? The I think, strings, the lyrics. I feel I, I feel like it's I feel like a hipster saying that, but yes. No, if a no, a hipster would say, um, "What's the famous one with the riff by Johnny Marr at the beginning?" Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, a hipster would say that. Um, there is a light that never goes out. If a double decker bus crashes into us to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. That I think is the most beautiful love song in the world. And I will argue with people about Robert Smith, who is a true romantic at heart and has written some of the most beautiful love songs of our age. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So who's your favorite artist? Just really quick before we uh, time out here. <sighs> Music. Like give me your top five. I don't know. I, I don't, genre. You know, I don't do I don't do favorites anymore. Oh. I, just, I just do what like what is speaking to me right now. You know, like well, I can give you okay. like important like Kanye West for better or worse is so much of my artistic heart. Perfume Genius is Beach House is probably my favorite band of all time. I don't um, know them. I think you would dig Beach House. They have like a oh. My Bloody Valentine kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah, kind of a witchy, uh, but more pop forward, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. on. Yeah, but there's definitely a shoegaze kind of thing to them. Um, you reference Block Party a lot. You reference Moz a lot. You reference Iggy Pop. You reference Amy Winehouse. I, I mean, and you reference a lot of rap. I just think that you're... Um, Musical taste is so eclectic and profound. Not everyone has that uh, literary sensibility when it comes to music, right? Yeah, and I think that it it makes, like, I feel like I'm an empathetic person. And I think that is part of why I'm able to, like, latch on to so many different voices. Like, I mm. really latch on to all of these different people in different genres. And sometimes it's for a season. Sometimes it's one song that is just, like, a peek into heaven for me. You yeah. Know? Um, you reference Death Cab. They have, you know, my, you, I think you reference Soul Meets Body, but my favorite song by them is the one about death. Um, I'll follow you into the dark. Oh, my. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite karaoke songs, lyrically, one of my favorite songs of all time. I, I would say that Ziggy Stardust and is my favorite album of all time. And it's because of the sequencing and mm. um, the order of the, 
songs. And, you know, your book is very much like that. I love the sequencing. Thank it was you. like an album. And this is what the generation doesn't get. They just like playlists. Uh-huh. Give me an album front to back. The Queen is Dead. The day it came out, I went and ran and got it. And I listened to the whole thing like 45 times. I've listened to the Sex Pistols, their only album, really. Um, not the specialty stuff where they collect stuff. But I've listened to probably, never mind Sex Pistols, a thousand times. And it's the sequencing that makes it brilliant. It's And the Pixies are like that, too. The mm. sequencing of every album, to, um, Surfer Rosa especially, from beginning to end is just perfect the way it leads you on a story right yep uh we could go on and on and on and i could talk to you about music forever so i think we need to do a reading soon maybe with a little musical theme liz gonzalez writes about music too and uh definitely in the san bernardino not riverside san bernardino yeah i'm 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 yes i would love that I'm going to email Katie Porter, see if she can help us. Um, Liz said, oh, so moving, beautiful about your work. Uh, Chipster, I don't know what that means. Chicano hipster. (laughs) Yeah. I'm too old to be a chipster. Um, (laughs) I'm just saying, yeah, keep that. (laughs) Okay. And um, thank you, Adam, for coming on. Anyone who's listening in. Please share this uh, vodcast. If you share the vodcast on Facebook or Twitter, I will put you in a drawing for a a copy of his book, Remyth. Um, I have an extra copy here that I bought to give away. So please share it. Tag me when you share it, please, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. However you share a reference to the podcast, if you want to share it on Instagram, screenshot it once it's on Apple or screenshot the Facebook and just reference the link in Life of Gem 1. Um, in my Instagram page. So please share this. I think this was, a, I could talk, I, I, this is probably in my top five. I've done about 55 now. Top five podcasts of all time. This, oh, amazing. Oh, you're so, so smart and so brilliant. And your writing is so beautifully done. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a great deal to me. Okay. So everyone buy his book, Remeth, a postmodernist ritual check him out on spotify and other places and share this um adam stick around really quick before we log out just so i can make sure i downloaded everyone and uh, liz is going to re-watch this when it ends yeah i will too (laughs) i always um listen uh the next day or watch the next day and then i listen once it comes out on apple Uh, my producer is back from germany so my uh, podcast producer will likely have this up within the next week um, nice. on Apple Podcasts. So go to the Life of Gem Apple Podcasts. We're on all um, stations, but you know, everywhere. You just put Life of Gem, J E M, and you can find the most recent episode within a week or two with Adam D. Martinez, who wrote Remyth, a postmodernist ritual, winner of the Hillary Gravendike Prize 2019. It came, his book came out in 2021. So thank you, Adam. So thank much you. fun. Let's wave everyone out. Bye, everyone. Bye, Liz. Bye, Angelic.